You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys, episode number 110 for Wednesday, the 4th of April, 2018. And yes, I know I shouldn't be here today. It's a Wednesday. The reason that I'm here is that this podcast is two years old today. 24 months ago, I launched this show with episode number one, interviewing local author Ruth Sutton. And I'm not quite sure how, but we're still going strong. Now, this podcast has been a revelation to me. I've connected with so many wonderful authors over the past 24 months, and it's been an absolute joy. I've never done anything online, which has worked quite so well for me. So a big thank you to you if you supported this podcast by downloading it every week, if you've ever been a guest, if you support the production of this show on Patreon, or if you've left me a review or shared perhaps an episode on social media. In this two-year anniversary episode, I've asked five former guests to turn the tables on me and ask me questions about my author career. So get ready to hear Alison Ingleby, John Cronshaw, Meg Cowley, Sarah Hardy and Rachel Amphlett asking me the questions. Hello, I'm Alison Ingleby, author of Young Adult Dystopian Fiction, and I'm a previous podcast guest on the Self-Publishing Journeys podcast. And today I've got the opportunity to turn the tables on Paul and ask him a few questions. So, Paul, first question. If you were starting your self-publishing journey from scratch tomorrow, what would the first six months look like and what is the one thing you'd do differently as a new author? Okay, so the one thing I would do differently, I think, is to do what you told me that you did when I interviewed you, which was to get a developmental edit. Now, uh, like you and like most published authors, uh, I'm bootstrapping this. So, I, you know, I don't have a huge budget and... Like all self-published authors, I've had to decide what gets paid for and what doesn't get paid for. So with my first books, I paid £400 per cover for my first books. It was Well, actually, it was £399 per cover, not even dollars, it was pounds. Mm. So I was straight in for £1,200 on, on my covers, which which is a, a lot of money. Um, I'm just trying to think. I can't remember whether I, I'm sure I, I might have self-edited the first book, but I went over it loads and loads of loads of times and it did get edited retrospectively. So I, I can't remember whether mm. I edited it or not, but I, I knew that editing was important, but it makes you wince the amount of money that you've got to spend just to get this thing out, which is probably just going to die anyway when you get it out there. So I, I think now I've, I've been doing it th- th- three years now and I, I'm frustrated that I haven't had more success than I've had. I feel that I don't feel that my books are rubbish because I've had, I've got a lot of reviews on them now and they, they generally go, I, well, you know, they're, they're, they're four out, usually four, four plus average, usually, usually. Mm. Something I learned recently from, from doing giveaways is that, uh, or promos, I should say, is that they, they look for a 3.4 average with 60 reviews. And that's been quite educational for me because I sort of thought I, I would, when I go below four, I think well, that's not very good. But actually, it looks to me like people who know this stuff know that the more reviews you get, the lower the average goes, but that 3.4, 3.6 and above 
he's fine. And my books were fine on that criteria. That actually made me feel really good when I when I saw that because I I always sort of thought if you drop below a four or your four point one, it's not very good. But it seems that the more reviews you get, the lower you go. So I, I'm I'm frustrated. I haven't had more success with books. I I I, I look at what what that might be, and I think that might be my writing ability. And so now, three years on, with in retrospect, I might have got the development edit to have somebody have a real good go at me for my writing and improve my craft. Mm-hmm. That that might be the thing that would improve things, I think. And in, in terms of what would the first six months look like, um, I think they'd look like the, the first six months did look like, which is that I I'm very organised. I got on with the writing. I think the only difference now is I, I did as much writing then as I do now. I think the only difference now is, is that I've done so much of it. I've written so many words. I know exactly how long it takes me to write a book. I can schedule it. I schedule one per quarter. I know exactly how long it's going to take me, how many days I need, how many days for me to do my edit on it before it goes to the editor, my post edit, and how long it will take me to get right. So this whole thing is like a sausage factory now. I just know my times um, more precisely now, whereas I didn't. I was learning my times the first time round. And would you still release them one at a time when they're ready? Or would you do what many authors do at the moment, which is to, to kind of write a few and hold them back to do a more rapid release strategy? Yeah, I don't think I, – I love trilogies. It's interesting. I, I, I'm a real believer in trilogies. And I've had a recent uh, first book bub. That book bub would not have done anywhere near what it did if that hadn't been a trilogy. I have absolutely no doubt about that. But I've also had – I've also learned the limitations of trilogies too, in that with trilogies, you could only market in certain ways. So for instance, I could only ever market the first book in a trilogy because mine, um, mine do tend to have cliffhangers or certainly mm. I wrote them with cliffhangers. When I, so the, the first six sci-fis I did all have cliffhangers, which annoys some people, but I don't, I don't, yeah, it annoys me. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I don't care because I do say very clearly on the blurb, this has a cliffhanger ending, right? If you don't read the blurb, well, that's your lookout. But I do, I do, the, the, the thing I learned and adapted from feedback was I'll tell you that it has a cliffhanger ending. And then at least you could do your own due diligence on that. But I do like cliffhanger, cliffhanger endings. When I did my thrillers, I, um, they did have, I didn't think they were cliffhanger endings. They, they opened on a, on a question. I didn't think it was a cliffhanger ending, but it appears that people thought, thought that they were. But, you know, I'm in the business of selling books and I want to leave you at the end of a book, you know, breathless and needing more. And I'm a self-published author. I need that more than anything because I don't have a publicity machine. So I, I, I love trilogies um, and they give you some problems as well, which is why I've been writing some standalone. So I had two sci-fi trilogies. I've just written a standalone to enable me to do single book marketing, but the standalone take picks up after the first book and leads into the next book. So it doesn't have a cliffhanger ending, but it ends sort of saying, if you want to see about the events leading up to this book, read The Secret Bunker. If you want to see the world after this book, read The Grid Trilogy. So I've been very specific to create that book for marketing. And if I'd have been okay, cleverer, so that- I might have written it first. Yeah, so that kind of links the, the worlds, doesn't it? So you have almost got like a longer series there yes um, and have just out of interest have any of your reviews mentioned the cliffhanger and the, your cliffhanger endings and where what are your t- tips for getting reviews particularly on sort of initial books um i'm rubbish at reviews i've i've tried all the bits and pieces that you're supposed to try 
Um, I've struggled with reviews. I'll tell you the thing, I've got about 70-odd, I think it is, in the States on, on Don't Tell Meg, and I'll tell you where they came from. They came from a book bub. That's where they came from. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, you know, so um, that's, um, I think, the grid. I, I'm ter- I don't read my reviews, incidentally. So um, I don't read reviews. I stopped doing okay. that a while ago. The reason I don't read reviews is because I'm very poor at taking feedback. You have to deliver feedback to me in the right way because I take it very badly. Um, I know that. It's an Achilles heel. Um, doesn't mean I don't take feedback. I just like it to be delivered in a certain way. So if you if you give me feedback and I just feel like there's nothing right with it, then then that's not a good place to leave me. Um, I need the proverbial shit sandwich. Um, I, I I need there to be something positive in there. I can't you know I can't take all negativity. I I need I need stuff to be. And um, I'm what uh, in Belbin terms, I'm a finisher completer. So I I need to know what can I do to make this better. I can't have somebody just carping at me saying oh it's rubbish. You know I need somebody to tell me steps to make it better. So that's how I need to receive feedback. Mm. Not. This doesn't work. That's not good enough for me. I have to say, how can I make that better? Yeah, and to be fair, you can't really guarantee that with uh, with reviews. No, it was rubbish. <laughs> and uh, I think I think a lot of you know I think a lot of authors are in the in the same in the same boat with that. So my another thing that I was quite interested in is that you publish in multiple genres. Now I'm interested to know, firstly, what's your favourite genre to read, and secondly, was there a reason you you chose to start with dystopian sci-fi and move to crime thrillers. Were those two genres a, a kind of marketing decision or was it just what you wanted to write? Right. I can read thrillers till the cows come home. I've been reading them since, well, I've been reading them since the Edith Blyton books because they're just kids' thrillers, aren't they? I love thrillers. I love reading them. Interestingly, and I shouldn't really admit this, should I, as an author, I don't read sci-fi. I watch sci-fi. I consume sci-fi in films and television and I just can't get enough of it. It's my favourite TV genre, but I don't read sci-fi. I don't enjoy reading sci-fi, which is bizarre, isn't it? But uh, that's just just the way it is. So um, I don't know why I started writing sci-fi because even as a teenager, I wrote short thrillers. Um, I think it was probably because the story came to me in, in such clarity. So it was. I have um, I have all my best ideas in the shower or when I'm trying not to wake my wife up um, when I'm tossing and turning in bed in the morning when I you know, she sleeps more than I do. I came up with the secret bunker idea in bed one morning and just had this really um, strong image. We'd been to the secret bunker with the kids. It was four years previously, so it was a really old sort of experience I had. It had a massive impact on me seeing this real life bunker. I've always loved things like that. You know, I've always even as a teenager I was in science club and went to a nuclear bunker. Then and in those days the bunkers were being used. You know, they weren't, they weren't redundant like they are now. This was real Cold War stuff when I was a kid. And, um, you know, it was real scary. Uh, it was real scary because they were showing you what would really happen in a nuclear war. Uh, and actually there was some prospect that it might actually happen in those days. And um, so I've always loved that kind of stuff. And, and, and the real life secret bunker in Scotland was just amazing. It was just had a huge impact on me. It's just such a, an amazing place. I love that kind of stuff. And I just woke up one morning with this very strong image of somebody, something awful happening outside and somebody being caught just by the doors in the long corridor and the doors having to close to close out whatever crisis was happening outside and then being trapped in this place and not knowing what the heck's going on outside and lost. And, and it was just a really strong image. And that really is how the secret bunker starts. And then the rest of the story um, unfurls. So it, it kind of took care of itself um, in that respect. So I don't know why, I, you know, and then, and then something that I didn't explore uh, a concept I had in 
the secret bunker, which 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 frankly is a bit like the holodeck in Star Trek. It's 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 almost based around that that that, that concept. Um, I wanted to do more with it, and that's where the grid came from. Um, and you know, so so they just flowed from each other really. And then I think I was. I'd had a little bit of, you know, I'd earned my sort of stripes at that stage and had got some more experience. And I just felt that I was finding it hard to sell the sci-fi. It was dystopian. I hadn't got a clue. I'm not, I don't even like teenagers, you know, I've, I've, except my own, I hasten to add. But, you know, I don't want, I'm not going around secondary schools, right, peddling my book. There's no way that's happening. I'm a former teacher, right? I, there's no way is that happening. So um, I, I'd written these things because I love dystopian films. But I had not got a clue how I was going to reach my audience. And even today, those books have not been read by teenagers. They've been read by adults. And, and fortunately, mm. you know, adults enjoy it. And, and, and that's not been a problem for me. But I don't want to target. I'm writing for that audience, you know, that, that kind of book. But really, I'm writing for adults. That's really who I'm writing for. But with thrillers, you see, I don't, um, I know you said in your interviews, you know, you have sexy bits in your, in your, what, your YA. I don't. Uh, there's no sexy bits in my YA. There's no swearing in my YA. Oh, and the, I have a bit of swearing. No, no, <laughs> no swearing. the odd word. And, and I was very uh, cautious about putting it in, but I do have a bit. But, yeah, I, I blush if I even write a kiss scene, so I'm terrible. <laughs> well, you know, well in my thrillers, I F and blind. I have um, hot sex scenes. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's always all in there, uh, even a bit of kinky stuff. And and um, and the deaths, I don't do over gory deaths. I don't do gratuitous stuff. But um, uh, when I when I actually wrote that standalone sci-fi, I was about to somebody say, "Oh fuck it!" in the book, and then I thought, "Oh no, this is sci-fi. Don't say that in this." So I, I had to tone, oh, you know, oh golly gosh, or whatever it was, I put in. I, I had to tone it down, so I do have to remember who I, who I'm writing for. But I, I like the thrillers. The thrillers, um, you know, I, very adult sense of humor in there. Um, dare I say it? I love writing sex scenes. I, I've I, I've really I've thought <laughs> You're about going to branch out into erotica. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I have thought about it. I have, I was going to at Christmas actually. I I I I learned about it on the podcast, and I really enjoy it. Uh, and I shouldn't do, and I do, and uh, so I like putting sex scenes in the book. Um, uh, I just like it. I don't know what it is. It's very freeing. I find it very freeing actually um, to do that. Um, and I like writing about relationships. So my my thrillers are they're all really. Mark Edwards says it. It's on my. I have it on my board. Uh, Mark Edwards, whose books I've sort of. I want to be like Mark Edwards when I grow up. That's really what I want to do when I'm writing. He says scary things happen to ordinary people. That's what his books are about. That's what my books are about. And they're largely about sort of couples, and they're couples who are generally having um, difficulties, and, and they kind of tend to work through the difficulties and whatever's going on in the relationship through what this awful thing that happens in the book. Um, and I like that stuff. I, I love. I've discovered accidentally. I love writing about relationshipy kind of stuff. I really enjoy it, and uh, I like observing people and all their, you know, and their habits and things. And I, that's why I put in the thrillers. I love that stuff in the thrillers. Although I think, to be honest, I think at the core of most good books is it's all about people and relationships. I think whatever genre you write in, that's, you know, okay, perhaps not pure kind of action adventure, but certainly for thrillers and, and kind of other subgenres, you know, mine's got a lot of stuff about relationships and backstories and things like that in it. So, you know, I don't think they're exclusive to say romance, which is what you might traditionally think of. Um, I think there's go into a lot of different genres. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, it is all about relationships. And um, the other thing I should say about the, um, the, the genre question that you asked me earlier is that um, when I was writing my sci-fi is like a thriller 
with laser guns. That's why I you know, not laser guns, but it's like a, it's the thriller with tech. So my, uh-huh. I'm writing through, I was writing thrillers already. They're, they're the same pace, yeah. same sort of stuff. I just have zapper guns and a bit of space and the odd alien in, in, in the other stuff. So that's, it's, it is the same kind of book, really. I think I'm a one trick pony in that respect. You know, that's kind of what I write. Yeah. That's, that's what you get when you read a Teague. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> okay. So I, I'd like to move on to the podcast now, really. So it's been going, what, two years? Is this the two year anniversary? Yeah. This episode um, is, yeah. Who's- <laughs> Who's been your favourite guest on the self-publishing journeys <laughs> podcast, and why? No, you can't and ask you don't me that. Have, you don't have to say me. Put <laughs> <laughs> me out of it. <laughs> well, no, I'll, I'll tell you that it's not about favourite guests. Um, it's like um, it's like children. You know, my kids always say to me, "Who's your favourite child?" And and I always remember asking my parents this, and they used to say, "I don't have a favourite child." And 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 absolutely, when you've you know, I've got three kids. I absolutely haven't got a favourite child uh, because you, they, you like different things about all of them and you, you can't say who your favourite child is. So it's the same with podcast interviews. You know, what I will say is that every single guest I've spoken to, every single one of them, wherever they were in their author career, has left me thinking about something in my author career. And that's probably why I do this. I'll tell you the one that um, was the biggest um, sort of treat for me was um, – and uh, I'm, I'm going to embarrass myself now because I can't remember names. Uh, I'm terrible with names. You know what I'm like with names. Um, let me just go. I'm, going to, I'm just going to whiz through yeah, the pages. So perhaps, so perhaps the the sort of yeah, the person you either kind of you know respected a lot and felt maybe felt a bit nervous interviewing. Have you had any people you felt nervous interviewing because of who they are or what they've done? No, because I've been at the B, but I don't get nervous. So, uh, so for instance, I, um, I interviewed Richard Maidley, um, uh, in person in a, uh, in a very early episode. And, um, uh, I, I don't, I just, I don't really get nervous about the celebs because I've done, I've just interviewed so many people for the BBC, uh, you know, celebrities, politicians, uh, I got told off by Michael Howard once um, on an interview. I've been told off by Anne Widdicombe. Um, I've had MPs put the phone down. I mean, it really doesn't, it really doesn't bother me. Um, and uh, so, so I'm used to that. And I'll tell you the one that was the biggest treat. It was a recent one, actually. It was when I did my first double interview. So I've only ever interviewed one person at a time. And recently I interviewed Carol Rivers and Chris Wood. And they're an older couple and Carol's done Mills and Boone and romances. And, and Chris is, um, they've had, you know, they've kind of had five kids of a whole lifetime. And then here they are. I, I didn't ask ages, but I think they must be 60s, 70s, um, from, from the way they were speaking. And, and poor old Chris is sitting there. He's listening to my podcast, scanning, scanning her old typewritten stories so that they can bring them into text files and then self publish them. Now, um, they were uh, just such great fun to talk to two people. I really just had a good laugh. And I've had a lot of people who listened to that interview say what a great interview that was. And and it was one of those interviews when I did it, uh, you, know, you feel like this is a great interview. We're having a great time here. This is very funny. I love these two. Um, but they, they have that, I don't know what it is, that that easy charm that older people is it because they're more self-assured is it because they're at a different place and then I you know older people when you talk to them they they have that just easiness about them about life and everything as well and uh, so that made just made them great to speak to but I think that's the most memorable uh podcast that I did okay well hopefully there'll be many more to come so so one final question then which indie author do you most admire I don't know whether he still is an indie author, but uh, I 
Mark Edwards is who I want to be. I want to, he certainly was an indie author, so he's been on the podcast. He was another one. There's so many treats, you see. I was really pleased to talk to Mark. Uh, because I, you know, I want to write like him. And so it was just an, an opportunity to speak to the author that you want to be like and just and pick his brains. Um, so, I mean, he, he'd had an amazing career in that he'd, he'd had a couple of whiffs of traditional publishing and then he self published and had, had amazing success. So he, I, I kind of count him as a self publisher because that's, that's how he, he made his career. But, um, that, that's who I would like to be like. You know, I like, I like the books. I like the style. I like the covers. Uh, I like the subject matter. Uh, that's what I want to write like. So when I'm writing my books, I am thinking, um, I'm thinking Mark Edwards all, all the time. Um, and I would like a little bit of his success as, as well, please. But um, yeah, they're just, those books are spot on where I want to be. If you could put a little target, that's what, what, what I'm, you know, shoot, shooting for. Um, so I read his books. Um, you know, I, I follow what he does. I listen to his interview. That's where I want to be. So I think that's that that would be the the one. Definitely Mark Edwards. Hi everyone. I'm Rachel Amphlett and I'm the creator of the Detective K Hunter crime thriller series, the Dan Taylor spy novels, and the new Assassins trilogy. I'm here today to interview Paul Teague. It's time to turn the tables on our host and ask him three questions about his writing. Hi Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. A little bit nervous about you turning the tables on me. <laughs> And so you should be. (laughs) Okay, so we've known each other for a little while now. So my first question to you is, what's the one thing you know now that you wish you'd known this time last year? Oh, wow, that's interesting. I wish I had known how well thrillers were going to sell compared with sci-fi. So I started writing uh, a sci-fi trilogy. Then I did another sci-fi trilogy. And then I was having problems, not problems, but I wasn't selling anywhere as near as many of those that I needed to sell. And I've always read uh, thrillers. Um, like most people, I guess, I read Enid Blyton, which were thrillers for kids. Uh, James, mm-hmm. James Hadley Chase was my uh, the guy that I used to read as a teenager. He was what really used to answer for me writing so many thrillers. I, I love James Hadley Chase books. Um, and they were just like Enid Blyton for adults, really. They were just formulaic okay nothing to tax in they were great and fast to read so i loved it and um and i read harlan coburn now and lidwood barclay and mark edwards um you know i love those i love thrillers that are in domestic settings so real real people uh with extraordinary or very frightening things happening to them that's my kind of thriller that i like to read and i like to write so Really, um, as I say, the sci-fi looked to me like the, the sci-fi was selling, but it wasn't selling enough. You know, you've been at this for ages, and I, you know, I want this, I want this to be self-sustaining. I don't want it to just be pocket money. Um, mm. So I sat down to write a thriller series, and do you know, what? I can't remember now, Rachel, what on earth sort of inspired that series. Now, you know, I don't know whether you ever have this when you look at your books and you think, how the heck did I write that? Um, yep, all the time. Do you get that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, because once I think once you've written it your brain's already moving on to the next project anyway yeah i think that's part of it and but i also think you shouldn't analyze it too closely 
No, I, I don't analyse it too closely. So I can't for the life of me remember. Somebody just reviewed it. I got a lovely review off somebody uh, yesterday, um, you know, talk, talking about the story. And I was sort of thinking, you know, it feels such, so long ago. I've done so many stories uh, yeah. since then. But actually, you no, know, when I look at it, I think, you are quite proud of that story. I mean, you know, that was a good story. But um, since you and I last spoke, you know, I've had a book bub. So I've had the book bub experience now. And um, I've just had my best ever month from that trilogy of thrillers. And um, good, you, you had, good. A real, had a real good month now. Um, the sort of month that makes people sort of say, wow, you know, that, that kind of month. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, at last, at last. And That's it. You've seen, you've seen that breakthrough. So it, it, it gives you that enthusiasm to keep going, doesn't it? I know it's possible. And, and it's phenomenal to think that, you know, a, a, whatever it is, a dollar a time or whatever it is, that you could earn that much. I, I simply just still can't wrap my head around the fact that all these electronic items, you know, could create a, uh, an income that is enough to replace a salary. That's a phenomenal yep. prospect. I mean, now you're, you know, you're there, you're doing it now, which is fantastic. Yeah. You still got yeah. your head around it yet? Um, no. Um, well, I have, because I've got the business plan and everything, but it's now, my job now is to sustain that, keep it going, and then take it to the next level. Because I, I like learning. I'm like you. I like soaking up information and learning from what I've done in the past um so when we have this conversation next year you and i will have other things that we wish we knew now <laughs> that we know then for go but you, you've got to experience it haven't you yeah you you've got to do it I mean, there's no doubt to me that the, the you know the trilogy of thrillers just sells way better than anything else that's that I've great written, you know even better actually than the the standalones it doesn't even move to the standalones people just like the characters they read right through you know it's got what you want that read through rate which is what you're after yep. isn't it so that's what you're after so yeah so i'm happy with that good what's been the best investment in your writing business in the past 12 months oh wow best investment um well do you know what i think it's something that's i think literally just happened I, I would always say the best investment actually has been in in networking and making connections. I know that's not a, a financial investment. Well, it is because it's time investment, isn't it? And that's what a lot of people overlook. It's it's what you invest your time in as well as money. So it's, yeah, it's, this is not a money, but but it's actually it, it culminated in a money investment. So I don't know you've heard of twenty bucks to fifty k, have you? In, yes. in Australia, yeah. So they had a UK event at the weekend. I've just. I saw that. I was quite jealous that you all went and I couldn't go. Well, I mean, that was, um, as, as John Cronshaw, somebody that I talk to regularly said, you know, that was created out of social media connections. It was people who mm. network with each other. And I, um, I, I went to that event and I was checking in at my, I say my hotel, my travel lodge. It makes it sound a bit posh hotel, doesn't it? I was tra tra checking in at the travel lodge and there was a guy waited by the door who, who I didn't know. He obviously was waiting at the door to catch my attention. He said, oh, are you, are you Paul Teague? You know, oh, I listen to your podcast and, and, uh, and, I, and I've had a weekend of people sort of, you know, meeting people who know oh, me through fantastic. the podcast or people saying, yep. I've heard about the podcast. I'm coming to listen to it. Uh, and it's, it's just, um, you know, just just incredible. And what that was, what it felt like for me is a culmination of, you know, a lot of work doing the podcast and, and, and networking and, and meeting authors and making those connections. Um, but even the guys, you know, Michael Andalay, who's the head of, you know, he invited me to a lunch there yep. on the Friday. Oh, well, well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, you know, I was an imposter because That's it fantastic. was all, all, it was all his kind of team, you know, his UK team and me, uh, there, uh, just because, I'd interviewed him on the podcast and Craig was there and Craig 
gave me the job of doing the videos. Uh, there I was doing the videos there, so you could blame me. And um, uh, <laughs> and it was just, you know, it's just, um, when I'm feeling sort of really busy, sometimes I think about dropping the rate that I do the podcast, because you know I'm doing two podcasts now. and I That's do... right. A lot of work goes into it that people don't see behind the scenes. Well, there is, with yeah, with the interview episodes particularly. And, and you know, constantly, like you, I'm sure you do the same. You know, I'm constantly thinking, can I, can I jettison that? Should I jettison that part of the business and concentrate mm. on this other part of the business? And so the, the, the podcast is under constant review, but the benefits of it, um, you know, re- really came home to me over this weekend that this is an investment in a in a community um and in relationships and you really can't put a price on that i don't think no you can't no you can't that's great that's really that's really great i want to pick up on a comment you made there that i think a lot of us indies and a lot of authors in general are guilty of doing you said you felt like an imposter and you know I feel like that sometimes when I go to festivals and stuff. It's like, why, why do we feel like, you know, it's that imposter syndrome that we cart around with ourselves. And I'm, I'm trying to make a, a conscious effort and not feel like that this year. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, I, I, mm. isn't it, it's ridiculous, isn't it? But I'm, you know, I, I would, I'm, embar- I'm not embarrassed. I'm not embarrassed about my books, but if in a, in a one-to-one situation where I've done presentations and things, and I'm almost embarrassed that people are going to pick up my books and, and read them. Uh, it, uh, but I'm quite happy to shift loads of them through Amazon where I don't sort of have yeah. to see people. <laughs> yeah. We like being behind the scenes, but stick us in a social situation. We're like, Oh, I don't really belong here. And it's like, yes, we do. <laughs> it, it, it's ridiculous. And I, I got to kind of own that. You know, I, I got like you, you know, I've got a great pile of books now. And when I, sit them on my lap and, and and look at what I've written. You know, we, we ought to be prouder than we are, I think. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, no, it's just that word imposter that you use that I picked up on because it's, like I said, it's something that I'm trying to – I'm going to stop trying to be like that this year. Okay, final question. Ready? Yeah, go. What What do you want to achieve before the 31st of December 2018? <laughs> okay, these are good questions. Uh, so, uh, I know exactly what I want to achieve because, as you'll know, I have a whiteboard to my left and it's all planned out. So, my, my big project for this year is that, um, so, so the thrillers I think are my most funny. I mean, actually, you know, my sci fi gets the best reviews, uh, but the, but my thrillers are, are obviously what are shifting and what people seem to sort of love. So, what I've come, I've reached the conclusion that my writing clearly isn't terrible uh you know it's 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 good enough to 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 shift books and part of me learning that was when I I did some promotions recently and they said you've got to have if you've got something like 20 reviews you need to have a you know a a three point something average and if you've got if you've had over 50 reviews you've got to have a three point something average and I thought well yeah I beat myself up about having a four you know point something a, a lower four point something and I think that's rubbish um and then yet people who shift books by the bucket load feel that 3.4 and i think it was 3.4 and 3.6 is you know more than enough to shift lots of books in a it comes down to yeah it's in the it's in the eye of the reader and that was a revelation to me because i beat myself up you know that i'm not 4.8 or something and i sort of you know feel but so so where i am with it is that you know I, i'm obviously not a, a, a crap it's my podcast so i can say crap it's i'm it's i'm not a crap writer but I don't think I'm a good enough writer that, you know, I know that there are things that I could do much better. And so, so this craft is what I, I want to concentrate on. Now, the other thing yep. that, I, that I've realized is, is, is that I, because I, I do a lot of interviews here, um, Bloodhound Books is uh, a company that I would really love to be on their author roster. And that doesn't mean I want to go trad. I want to go hybrid. 
I want, I want, mm-hmm. I want to be, I want to have a book published through Bloodhound because I want yep. to be on the page of Bloodhound authors. And when they have Bloodhound author events in London, I want to be there because I feel that that will be a brilliant way for people also to find my independent work. I, I yep. want to be hybrid now. I want to use their platform and I'm happy to take the 30%, you know, cut in royalties for that because they'll take the pressure with the, you know, the books, the marketing. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. And to me, that's a price worth paying. Now, so what I'm doing is uh, people who listen to my podcast know that I'm running Project Bloodhound this year. Um, so I, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, uh, and you can guess what the specific aim of that is. Uh, yeah. I, I want to write to Bloodhound's Market a book, which, uh, you know, I hope that they will publish. And I'm like you, Rachel, you'll, you'll identify with this. I'm going all out for this. So I've booked in Rob Sinclair is their kind of biggest author. I've booked yep. in his developmental editor for September and she will have my hook or my crook you know an 80 to 90,000 word thriller from me that is written to Bloodhound's market um, so that it will be edited by the time they even get the blasted thing you know and then I'm also yep. going to get a Bloodhound proofreader to proofread it who knows his house style and then I'm yep. going to submit that to Bloodhound by the end of the year. Uh, Fantastic. <laughs> How specific was that? <laughs> No, that's great. Um, but that's what goals have to be. They have to be specific. They have to be planned out. You have to have a strategy for it. And anyone listening to this that doesn't have a business and marketing plan in place yet, you need to do this. You need to do what Paul is doing. Um, because otherwise that goal will just float away. You've got to nail it, nail it to the wall and put your name to it. Yeah, that's exactly it, isn't it? And, and I, I got to move things on. So I've got, I'm just writing a, a shorter thriller at the moment, up to 50,000 words. So I got four 50,000 word thrillers. So I got lots of, um, and I've done that mainly for marketing permutations. So I've got ways of hopping people into, into the trilogy, you know, and, and, and yep. I can box set three of those. And, you know, I've got, I've done it really as a marketing package because although, um, you know, series and, and trilogies are great, you can really only market book one. Or market the box sets. It, you can't market really books two and three because of mine all no, have cliffhangers. No, you need the way in, don't you? Yeah. yeah. And I wanted permutations to allow me to do that. So with writing these four standalones, um, I'm going to work out which one sells best and which is most popular. That's going to be either free or 99 cents, probably will vary. And then the others will go as a sort of a box set. They'll be more attractively bo- packaged as a box set. And then I've got my Don't Tell Meg trilogy, which is the one that sort of sells well at, at, at the moment. And, um, and so I thought well, when I hit that stage, which I'm going to hit when that book's released May 3rd, I hit that kind of what I call a critical mass. Ne- then it, I need to move things on. And Project Bloodhound is how I'm going to move things on. How are you going to take it to the next level? Yeah. That's fantastic, Paul. Thank you so much for answering my questions today. And thank you for coming up with such difficult ones, Rachel. It's really- <laughs> <laughs> you're most welcome. <laughs> I can tell you're used to making characters you know scream and, and shout with pain so. <laughs> yeah well betide you if you ever get another a face-to-face interview me with me for a job hey <laughs> <laughs> yeah you thought the apprentice was bad wait till you find rachel <laughs> hi i'm john cronshaw and you can find me on the john cronshaw's author diary podcast that's probably the best place to find me um i've got some questions for paul um Congratulations on getting to this milestone with your podcast. I know how hard doing consistent podcasts can be. Um, my first question is essentially a Desert Islandist style question. I want you to name a book, an album, and a film, and that's it. That's all you've got for the rest of your life. Pick one of those. Book, album, film. Okay. So, go for the album first. 
my my choices would be I've been very very consistent all my life. Um, it's like I've had the same haircut all my life, and uh, you know I, I don't need change. And so it, it's going to be a choice. It's going to be something like Electric Light Orchestra. It's going to be Run Rig, who are a little known Scottish band that I love, or oh. Queen. And I think it's probably going to be a live CD of Run Rig. Uh, they're huge in Scotland, like virtually no one in England knows about them unless they've ever been up to Scotland. And <laughs> um, and I'm going to see they're having their last concert in August, and I've got tickets. Um, and um, I, my wife's Scottish, and they were playing on the telly years ago um, when we went up for Hogmanay. And I loved them the minute I heard them. So I'm going to go for Runrig, a live album. And actually, the live album I want is the live album that they're going to record in August of this year, uh, at that last ever concert when they're all going to retire after about 40 years. That's the album that I want to take. Um, as far as a book's concerned, um, I'm very lightweight with books. So, you know, I'll read a book once. There's not many books I come to sort of twice or three times. I'm trying to think what I might have come back to three times, but I tell you what I will do is I only got one book. What I'm going to do, it's actually right on the shelf, actually. Um, I'm going to take my book of Chalky, which is like a book that no one has ever heard of, ever heard of this book. And it was a book that I got when I must have been about seven or eight for a birthday present. And um, it's by a guy called, hang on, just let me lean over and get it, by a guy called Howard Apps. Yeah, Howard Apps. And I don't even know when it was, I mean, the publisher won't even be going around now. 1972, I got it. So I was seven when I got this for Christmas. And... I loved it, but my mum, there were words in there. It was too old for me when I was seven, but my mum told me, she said, just underline the words um, if you don't understand them and then look them up in a dictionary or ask me later. And um, I like this book because I have returned to it through my life and it's a mystery book. It's like a thriller. It's a thriller with kids in it. It's not Famous Five. It's a bit like that kind of thing, but that's the stuff I loved. And it's kind of what I'm writing, really, now. Um, hopefully a little bit more sophisticated. Um, but it, it's just a book that I've kept on my shelves. It's got a lot of nostalgic value. You know, it takes me back to my childhood. It reminds me of why I write. So I think I'd go for something like that, you know, rather than saying, oh, I'll have a Dickens lovey or something like that. You know, I, I'm going to go for something nostalgic, I think, um, that brings back sort of years of memories and also has a formative. It was formative as well. What was it? Album? Oh, film. Film. Album, film, yeah, film. Film, I'm going to go for Terminator, the first Terminator. And the first Terminator is perfect science fiction for me. I love perfect, sort of flawless, faultless science fiction. And, and the timing, the time, the management of time travel in there works beautifully. It gets a little bit disrupted as we go through the Terminators. But um, again, this is a context one. I can't remember when Terminator came out, but I was... I watched it. I was a teacher at the time and the school let me borrow their VCR recorder because no one had them in those days. They were expensive. And we, it was like, wow, you know, I got a summer holiday and we got a VCR. Um, and we went to the video shop, remember those? <laughs> and it was fantastic. We watched all these films that we didn't have to watch at the cinema. And um, I mean, can you remember when Terminator was? It, was eight, it must have been. I think it was about 80, 87, something like that. I want to say 86, 87. It's still a brilliant film for 87. You know, mm. the, the, the tech and everything is just brilliant. Um, so I, I, I love that. Uh, I love that film because it's perfect sci-fi 
for me. And I, it was just, for, uh, you could never go back to the first time of watching a film. You know, the magic of just, I love this. But that's how I felt with Terminator. And again, I write sci-fi and thrillers. You know, it's one of those films that has influenced me um, through mm. through life and one I keep coming back to. So that, that, that's what I would choose, I think. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, yeah, for me, I, I would have actually chosen Terminator Two as my uh, <laughs> the island film. So really, yeah. that's a coincidence. Yeah, no, so that's a great, great choice there. Um, so next question: You have made a lot of money on your books, and you have paid everything off. You've got no mortgage. You've, you know, you've you've done all the boring stuff. You've got your pension set up. You've got your retirement sorted. Yeah. You know, your family are all going to be fine. What frivolous thing are you going to buy? I don't really buy frivolous things, and and I don't need a lot. I'm not very, I'm not materialistic at all. And uh, you know, I run, I run old cars because um, I, you know, when the kids were born, we bought a car new only because we had three tinies in the back, and I couldn't. We lived in the country at the time, and my wife. I, I spent my life breaking down in old bangers, my dad's old bangers. Um, and uh, they said, you can't, we can't do that. You can't break down with three kids in the middle of nowhere. And, and we ran this car into the ground. And that's kind of my attitude. My dad never spent more than a thousand pounds on cars in his life until he retired. And then he bought a new one because my wife and my mum insisted on it because we'd broken down so much. So I, I'm really not sort of materialistic in, in any way. I tell you what I love. I tell you, um, what makes me feel like I'm breathing in rich, rich oxygen. And that is when I'm abroad in Spain. All right? I get a rush when I'm abroad in Spain. Um, uh, I love the colouring. I love the sky. I don't go there when it's hot. I like it when it's just when it's pleasant. But I, I love everything about Spain. And if I if I ever I, I can if I look at a photograph of us in Spain, I can bring back that feeling and that experience, and it's magic for me. And so my my one aspiration in life. Is, is that I want to either, you know, live or be able to spend as much time in Spain writing as I can. Uh, and so really that, that would be the thing. Um, and I, my, my brother uh, moved to Spain. I can still remember I'd never been to Spain before. I went to visit my brother on my, must be my 40th birthday. I'm 52 now. And I loved it the minute I was there. I loved everything about it and I still do. And my family keeps saying we've got to go somewhere else from Spain. But I love it. And, um, and my last thriller is written in Benidorm for my holiday, based on my holiday in Benidorm for Christmas. I just love it. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't buy anything. Um, I would spend as, you know, I'd, I'd have a, a villa or something out there so I could just spend as much time, but I don't want to be there in the summer. Um, I want, I like sort of pleasant weather and blue skies. I don't need the heat. So I would be out there every winter, I think. And that would be my greatest luxury in life. It's the thing I aspire to most at the moment. Okay, well, can, can we at least have a turret or something on your, on your villa? It's got to be uh, frivolous. Come on, Paul. No, you see, I, this is what I say to my wife. You know, if I, um, uh, I, I wouldn't even have, I don't do flash cars. I'm not interested. When I, I used to be a sales rep for a, a finance company, a car finance company in, in Preston. And um, this is in between teaching jobs. And they used to motivate all the guys there with cars, you know, put an eye on the end of it or something like that. And I, I, I remember they didn't know what to do with me. Because I, I went to see the boss and said, well, look, I had a Montego at the time, which was huge. It was in the 90s, I think. Uh, but it was, you know, it was a cool car then. Horrible now. And, and I said, well, this Montego, it's a little bit big, you know, not very good to park. Can I have a little Fiesta or something? Because it's easier to park. And, and they couldn't compute. They just couldn't compute it because all the other guys wanted faster cars. So I just, I just don't care about that stuff at all. It just really, you know, makes no impact on me whatsoever. 
Yeah. So I think I think for me, I'd have to. I, I really want to get a um, a sword crafted by a master oh, blacksmith. Really? You know. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> so, you know, something like off the Highlander or you know one of the Final Fantasy games, something like that. Just a ridiculous oversized sword that I can just put on a wall. Well, you know, my brother. Yeah. This is sort of my brother's indulgences. Is he's got a suit of armor with a sword wow. in his house. <laughs> and the funny thing is when he bought it, he was in quite a big house. And as they've sort of moved around things, he's in a, in, in a sort of small, um, you know, two-bed house. He's still got this suit of armour in, in, in the corner. It's great. I love it. You know, it's, um, it follows him around everywhere. Cool. Okay, uh, last one then, and this is almost the reverse of that one, is um, I'm going to basically turn what I've been doing with my um, Her Braven Adventures onto you and say... You've got a hundred quid to relaunch a book. What do you spend it on? Hundred quid to relaunch a book. Okay. Um, so, what's worked and what's worked cheaply um, for building an audience? Podcasting has. It's the best thing I've ever done. I've been doing online stuff for years, and I've never known anything like podcasting for building, you know, wonderful um, relationships with an audience. And when I was at Hundred Books, for instance, you know, loads of people in that room were people who I'd met through the podcast and uh you know or people who i will be talking to on the podcast never known anything like it you can start a podcast you can start one for free you can actually start one for free um but say um get a little logo um you know maybe say 10 pound 20 pounds so let's put 20 pound into a starting a podcast and then that's something that i could do that has longevity as well it's not just a one-off payment and it's gone um the other thing that's worked is Insta Freebie. It's been very good for sort of getting leads, and from leads you can turn those into sales. So I would, uh, you know, get a month of Insta Freebie um, uh, and take part in lots of giveaways during that month and build my list. Because when I build my list, I've got an asset, something that I own. Whereas if I put twenty quid on Facebook and I get no clicks, I've nothing left at the end of it. So I'm, I'm looking at building assets with my hundred pounds here. So um, let's do Insta Freebie, and then I'm going to take part in as many giveaways as I possibly can in my genre. So that's probably what another another 20 quid. Um what else am I going to do? I'm going to invest in um a website because um you need to be found online. So if I hear about you, if I hear about your books, I'm going to put your name into Google and there better be something there when I do because otherwise you're invisible online. So I'm going to spend another 20 quid on some cheap hosting and getting myself uh, a website set up. Uh, because you need to have, um, I think, I strongly believe you need to have a web presence if you're serious about this stuff. Just a basic one, but you need to have a web presence. The next thing I'm going to spend money on is, um, uh, well, I don't need to spend money on it really because it's Mailchimp. I was going to say I'm going to get Mailchimp because it's free, but I'm going to get um, uh, a way of storing emails because when I have uh, subscribers, I have an asset that I own, and so that hundred pound could vaporize. And there's nothing left, and I still um, could control and email and message you know people who've connected with me so so that's kind of free um so i i don't actually need under a quid to be honest with you i can, I can do it on about 50 or 60 um and and you know i would recommend that to any um starting author now the, the other thing is if i've got a book uh, and that's my budget then i'm going to make sure probably with the what's left i've got the best cover that i can possibly afford so so with with the sort of 40 50 quid i've got available i'm probably going to get a pre-made cover at that price i get a really nice pre-made cover um and and get the best cover that i can afford on my book because uh, that's what's going to shift it when i start to market it through insta freebie through email and everything else so uh, yeah it's about 100 quid isn't it roughly in there 
Hi, I'm Sarah Hardy and I blog at By The Letter Book Reviews um, and today I'm going to be asking Paul a few questions on his um, Meg trilogy which I've recently read and thoroughly enjoyed, may I add. So, hi Paul. Hello Sarah, I wouldn't have had you on <laughs> if you hadn't enjoyed them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably wise too, but yes I have. So the first question that I've got to ask you is, will Pete be having any more adventures or have we really seen the last of him? It's really interesting that you asked that question because I wrote that trilogy and ended it as a little retirement project. So you'll notice that they go to Spain at the end. And I, I yes. know quite a bit of Spain. Now, Spain, I, I love that part of Spain that they go to. And when my kind of kids have grown up, I, I aspire to, at the very least, go out there for winter and write, write books there. And, um, and because um, the series will probably be set in Spain, so Alex and uh, Pete move over to Spain at the end, I just thought, well, I'll set this series up so that I could maybe go there for winter, write a book there, and I can claim part of it for tax expenses because it, it then becomes a, a, a working holiday. I can research the locations and things like that. So it was quite intentional to to leave it open like that. So I don't have uh, an imminent plan to, to write uh, another book with with Pete and, and Alex in there but actually um I just grew to love the characters and actually their relationship so much in the books it would oh, almost, almost be a crime <laughs> not to wouldn't it and, and also there's unresolved stuff there too isn't there with the relationship so um I think it's got a bit of mileage left oh definitely yes well that's what I thought because and I think the both the backgrounds with the jobs obviously um being journalists and stuff it's um there was definitely so much more that obviously the places that they can go to um so I thought it was like oh god it would be such a shame if that was going to be the last that we did see of them and obviously whether they do actually ever get back together or not <laughs> ah, well I'm pleased we've got you on tenterhooks I'm also pleased you mentioned the journalism because one of the things that I was keen not to do you, you get a lot of these um you know thrillers with a, a picture of a solitary guy on the front and, yes. and, and, and you know like um, like Lee Child uh, sort of thing and I, I didn't want to write a recurring character like that I wanted I, I like my characters to be real people who aren't very good in real life you know they're, they're Pete's rubbish isn't he, he keeps yeah, oh, Pete, yeah I've got something to start with he took me a little bit because he is a bit of a player and I just thought you know but by the end of it it was like I absolutely loved him <laughs> and he's, he's useless in fights he's useless at, and, and it's, it's it's kind of based on you know how a regular guy would be you wouldn't have any special skills or anything you just do the best that you could and I wanted my hero you know to be like that somebody who has to figure it out as he goes along and somebody who gets scared um doesn't know all the answers and, and Pete's certainly that 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 kind of guy um but I, I also felt because I was a journalist for years you know the thing about journalists is um, I always had access to people like this, you know, so the people um, that that you deal with as a journalist, you know, I used to talk to, I don't think I ever got to the Prime Minister, but I got to Deputy Prime Minister. I used to, I've had Ken Livingston wow. pick the phone up and <laughs> I've spoken to Geoffrey Arch. You spoke, you speak to all these people. I've spoken to Chief Constables. I've cho uh, spoken to Mad Frank Fraser, the convict. So you, you get actually unique um, access as a journalist. It's quite privileged access, um, you know, to people in high places. And I just thought that's more interesting um, to get involved in corruption and stories rather than, you know, a figure that we're quite used to, which is, you know, macho guy with a gun sort of thing. Yeah, oh, but it certainly worked, definitely. <laughs> no, good, good. So, I mean, the trilogy, did you set out to have it as a trilogy or was originally, was it going to be just like one book or was the trilogy something that that's how it was always going to be meant to be? 
It wasn't, I, I'm a pantser rather than a plotter. So I, I know roughly where a book's going. Um, yeah. but, but I, I don't think that was conceived as a trilogy that I, I can't stop writing in trilogies. I, I have a real trouble with it because I, I, I know you don't like sci-fi, but my first two, um, sequences of books were both trilogies and I really like the arc of a trilogy. It really appeals to me as, as an author. I, I think you could tell a really, um, you, I, what I wanted to avoid there, I think they did kind of, kind of end on cliffhangers, but my, my sci-fis are dead on real cliffhangers. I mean, they're literally right in the middle of some action. Whereas I think they, they, they were cliffhangers, but not huge cliffhangers. Um, in, in that it didn't interrupt the action in any way, but I think it hopefully encouraged you to read the next book. You knew there was more there to come. Um, so I think I'd never written that longer book either before. So they were written, they were written raw at 90,000 words. I don't know what they are after edits, a bit shorter after edits, but they were written to 90,000. So I'd never written that long before either. Um, and I just found that the books, um, really flowed and that I hadn't told Meg's story, uh, by the end of book one. She was a, a character, she's the, you know, the protagonist by title. But you don't actually get very much of her uh, in the story at all. You don't really find out much about her. So I think the story just uh, developed and took a life of its own. But I do like that three-part storytelling structure. It really appeals to me. I love the way you could develop some other arcs across um, three books. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I, your, your response is fairly typical. You know, really don't – Pete's not really a very likable guy um, at, at the beginning. But I think that by the time you've been on the journey with him over three books – you probably like him quite a lot, and you've quite you've got a lot of sympathy. Oh, with definitely, him. yeah. But you could tell that over three books. Oh, yeah. Just to, to start with, you don't. But yeah, I think is like you said, he goes through an awful lot. The poor guy. So yes, by the end, it's, um, and, and especially the third one, I think it's um, that kind of like felt more personal. It was more of a somber kind of like feel to it, whereas there was a lot more kind of like action in the first two. Um, the, the third one, there was just. It's, well, because obviously the subject of it, I don't want to really go into it, but we'll give it too much away for the people that haven't read it. But um, it, it is obviously touches on a subject that kind of like is obviously quite a somber one. Um, so it gave it like a different feel, but I think it made it a bit more, more emotional also. Yeah, I wanted I, I wanted you to I mean, I don't know feel, if said... yeah, the sadness. I wanted you to feel the sadness of it and, and, and the way that, you know, lives. I didn't want to, uh, I was really pleased actually in your review that you said it, you thought it had been handled well because I, I, uh, it is a sensitive subject and I didn't want there to be any, you know, elements of, of, of it feeling gratuitous in any way. Yeah. But I did want you to feel the sort of long impact that it had on people's lives as a result of it. And even, you know, even even the baddies uh, uh, or the baddie in it, you know, had been wounded in a different way by the same by the same events. They were all victims in many ways. Yes, uh, and, it, yeah. and it was all out of their control. So uh, I just wanted you to sort of feel, you know, feel that kind of sadness that had permeated into their lives and how it was difficult to shake something off like that um, in a life. And, and oh, definitely. And hopefully it gave Pete an opportunity to redeem himself as well. <laughs> he does. I mean, it is the kind of like, I mean, because obviously, again, I can't really say too much without giving any spoilers for people that haven't read it. But I think because obviously, I mean, that was one of my other questions as well, was obviously because Meg, she's obviously a very important character in obviously all the trilogy, because obviously without her, obviously there probably wouldn't have been one. But obviously we don't actually get to see, and even in the third book, we still quite see very little as such of the present day Meg. Um, was that your intention to have her very much in the background 
um, you know, or had you were you going to bring her in any sooner? I, I wanted her as a. Um, she was sort of like a driving force. So um, you know, you meet Pete and Meg. They're they're. Um, I, what I always wanted you to know is that you know, however badly you feel about Pete, women like Pete. He, so he's not a bad guy. You know, Pete, he's got good relationships with women. Yeah. Um. And, and, and so, although he's very flawed, he's still a you know he's still liked by 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 women. He gets on well with them. Um. And but he makes some bad bad judgments. And and obviously you know he and Meg have had a good relationship and a strong relationship um too. But um yeah I I kind of in the first book she's well she's a driving force I think through all the books. She you know he he he's trying to find her pretty well all the way through through the books. He's driven by this to get this resolution in in, in the relationship. And, and so you know she in many respects is is the impetus. But at, but at the end also there's always this question of what what did Meg do? Was Meg is Meg a baddie? Is you know is Meg is she up to something? And then actually in the third book, as you so rightly say, you know, actually she's motivated by things that have happened in her past and she's had quite a terrible, uh, a terrible life. And I hope that by the end of the book, by the time you've been on this journey, you just can feel why all the characters are where they are. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. Cause I'm going to say, cause you just, the first two books, you really have absolutely no clue what Meg has done or even the type of person really she is apart from obviously you know that she was the loving wife uh, apart from obviously because of what Pete's done but you know that there's more to it but you don't exactly know what a story is and I think obviously that is why I was sort of like you know I had such high hopes for the third and final book because I knew that obviously everything's going to come out in this one <laughs> well I would hope anyway <laughs> Um, but that's when we're going to get all the answers. Everything's going to be revealed. And you kind of like, you've got these images or you've, the visions of what it's going to be. And it was like, is it going to live up to my expectations? And boy, it, you know, it more than did. <laughs> I'm delighted to hear that because, you know, you often hear about things fizzling out, you know, after the third um, book. And I, I think uh, what, what I'd, I'd said to you in the interview that you and I did earlier for the podcast is that... Um, I, I say I, I pants. I don't completely pants. I do. I do know roughly where I'm going. But I often think, you know, Meg. I, I could have made Meg a baddie or a goodie right until the end in many respects. Yeah, you could have done. Yeah. <laughs> I, I take it up to a point at which there's no return. You know, when I have to make a decision, I've got to decide whether she's, you know, how she's going to be in this now. And um, so she could have tipped. She could have tipped. Probably about two thirds into book three, I could have tipped it either way. Still, um, uh, and, and you know, because people do things things happen in their lives and and, and really you're constantly at, at, at crossroads you're constantly at forks in the road in your life and, and that's how I sort of see a book that that people can either do a right or a wrong thing they could be in the right or the wrong so even I didn't know you know right until the end which way I was going to play that and, and in the end I, I sort of I guess I played it sympathetically rather than Right. No, I think no. it was it was definitely um yeah I think it was the right thing kind of like to do but then again I think it could have worked the other way as well <laughs> <laughs> you know I think uh, like there's always that little bit in you that thinks yeah it'd be nice if they were quite evil or <laughs> <laughs> um but you know I think it's it was the right one I think because of the type of story it was and the nature of it I think it was definitely the right kind of like way to swing it basically <laughs> oh brilliant well i'm, ple I'm pleased you thought that um because i, I you know it's it, i i uh, love writing the stories you know the journeys i i 
and I always view them as like a film, you know, cin- cinematically. Um, so, um, you know, it's always nice to hear somebody like you who's, who's, who's obviously completely got it when they've read it. You know, it's really nice to hear that as a writer. I mean, who gets like the first sort of like read of your book other than yourself, obviously? Is it your wife? I mean, or do you have a family friend that kind of like reads your book, you know, and are they like your worst critic or? <laughs> my wife reads my books. Um, so she's she's first reader. In actual yeah. fact, as we're talking now, she's just emailed me back to say that she's read the <laughs> she's just read the book. So she's put the comment on here. Um, great cliffhanger to lead to the finale. So I've I've let her read it up to. I don't let her read the end bit. So I let her read it right up to the. Oh my god, what's going to happen? And then I let I. She has to read it when I've written it. You know the the end. So she she's my first reader. Um, she doesn't really even like thrillers, so uh, you know I'm always <laughs> pleased that she likes my my thrillers. Um, so she goes through it. She looks for plot holes. You know she looks for things that are wrong. Uh, she's my. Uh, then it goes to then I would read it. Then it goes to my uh, editor who d- does a sort of really good you know kind of proof. Come you know this is wrong. She's very good at spotting all the things I get wrong. Yeah. Then it comes back to me. Then she gives it a final read, and off it goes. So it goes through quite a lot of stages uh, before we let it go. But yeah, my wife's my first read. What I haven't done is got, um, and I might tap you up for this actually, <laughs> is I haven't got beta readers. What I'd like to have um, is is people who love reading my books, you know, who just kind of get that what they are like them um, yeah. ideal readers if you want to call them that uh, to, to beta read them that's the thing I'm missing in my sort of armory uh, at the moment I think yes they're definitely um, are worthwhile I mean I've done a few for a few different authors now I mean to start with it was like oh I don't feel like qualified to kind of like obviously to read these books but I mean at the end of the day readers are probably you know the best people um, to kind of like you know to, to review, well, kind of like give you feedback on them because you know when you're reading so many of a certain genre especially, um, you kind of like get a feel sometimes for what works or what doesn't. Um, so it's it's good to give kind of like feedback um, to authors, which to be fair, I've got to say the books that I've better read for some of the authors, I'm kind of like, there isn't anything for me to kind of like say apart from that I loved it. <laughs> and I'm like, I feel like I've not really helped you because I've actually enjoyed everything that you've written. <laughs> well, there, there are no better words to hear, Sarah, when you've spent ages writing a book than oh, I love you. That's, we'll, we'll all settle for that, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, it's Meg Cowley from MegCowley.com. And today I am turning the tables on our very own Paul Teague. And I have three questions to ask him. So, Paul... Firstly, I would love to know the top three things you learned from 20 Books London 2018. Well, it was a great event and it was lovely to see you there. And uh, thank you very much for the whiskey and pen and all the bits and pieces I got. Oh, no problem. (laughs) Thank you for that. Um, So three things I learned from 20 Books. The the first thing I want to say about it is I've been predicting about from the minute I bought the ticket. I was the first person to buy a ticket for that, by the way. Uh, for 20 books <laughs> I think I was number four <laughs> <laughs> I was straight in because I was saying yeah. all the time this is going to be the best indie author event that you're going to ever you know attend in the UK there won't be anything like it yeah and 100 uh, and I was right uh it was brilliant um and somebody actually said came back who listened to the podcast and said oh, you, you were absolutely right about that it was the place to be so what did I learn from it well the first thing is um I learned that the 20 books crew are mm-hmm. exactly my kind of people 
So I've been like you, Meg. You know, we, we've been we've been to the Amazon um, gigs yeah. in, in Manchester. I went up to mm-hmm. one in Edinburgh. I've been to a Society of Authors. I've been to several author gigs now, and yeah. a lot of those um, are mixed with traditional indie authors. And when I was at Twenty Books, it was so easy to talk to everybody and anybody, and we were all on the same page trying to do the same thing. And what I really loved about that is that everybody knew that they had to do the work. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, you and I have spoken three times now. You mm. know, you know, you do the work. You do the blooming work and a lot of it. Um, and I yeah. do the blooming work too. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and I like people who do the work and know that you've got to do the work. So, so the, 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 the yeah. thing I kind of learned is that there are other people like me. And when you're in yeah. the same room as them, it energizes you and it lifts you. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yes. And it makes you feel fantastic about what you're doing rather than maybe alone or isolated with what you're doing. So that's my crew. I, you know, absolutely. They were my crew. So that was the first thing. Yeah. So stick with your crew. Okay. And uh, meet up where possible at a 20 books meetup. Yeah. So, so Edinburgh's on my next, my next list. Yep. That's going to be the next. Snap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll see you there. Um, and it's commutable for me, which is fantastic. I could, I could, I could just jump on a train. I'll be there in an hour, which is fantastic. Oh, you're so, just bragging now. <laughs> I know. Well, we don't get many experiences like that in the north. No, so no, we really don't. To be yeah. fair, it was it was amazing that London was like a four or five hour drive away. Well, it was to be honest with you, it was good for me because I flew, so it was it was lovely because I could fly from Newcastle, so it was it's even yeah. really painless doing that. So uh, it was good. So that, that that was number one. Number two is um, that I. I need to do more advertising. Um, I think that was number two. Yes. So, so pro- yeah. probably like this is a huge thing for for all of us. Yeah, it is. We've got, and, and it's interesting that uh, Meg and I have just recorded an interview, which you will hear after this. Uh, we did it before <laughs> this, but you'll hear it after this. And, Time travel. <laughs> it's just crazy podcast world the way it works. <laughs> um, but you know, you said that you've had a great month, and part of that's been Amazon ads, and I. Yeah, I, I brought yeah. Brian Me- Mike Meeks's book. I've got um, Brian's book. Yes. And I've got Michael Cooper's book uh, on my shelf. Yes, both of those are on my shelf. They are fantastic, fantastic reads. Highly recommend them. I've learned so much from them. They're, they're very good. I wish Brian Meeks's was more um, methodical, like Michael's is. I like. I, re- I might prefer Michael's style. It suits my way of learning better. Um, I yeah. like a do this, do this, do this, which is what Michael's <laughs> Brian's is more ethereal. I, I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, but I, I went through Brian's and I've underlined everything to make it really ably retentive the way I like it. So, um, did you speak to Michael Cooper at Twenty Books? Uh, only in passing, yes. Only in passing, yeah. Because I think he oh, had... he's yeah, he's a fascinating guy. I spent a lot of time with Team Cooper, and um, yeah, he has a lot to say on a lot of things, and his stuff on ads is just like, he's just mind blowingly clever on stuff like ads. He's, he's you know, well. and you wish you could take someone else's brain and just use it for a little while. <laughs> but you know, Hart, but his his Facebook career, uh, he, he tells yeah. you this in the book. He's, he's based not entirely, but virtually around one image and one ad, isn't it? It's um, this yeah. amazing image yeah. he's found that just resonates with his perfect radar. Yeah, which is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's fascinating, and I don't know whether you know Adam Croft, the thriller writer, who you know, did did brilliantly. Not personally, no, no, I've not met him, but yeah, obviously know of him. But he did pretty well the same thing. He had one fantastic yeah. Facebook ad, which yeah. just beautifully 
Literally yeah. everyone knows the tagline for that ad. Everyone. I've forgotten it. You say it? that, and it was, would you kill your wife to save your daughter? If you say that to someone, they're like, oh, Adam Croft. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's that good. It was a, it was a brilliant tagline there. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so, so ads. Now, th- th- my problem with ads, and I'm sure a lot of people will identify with this, is that you, you spend a little bit, and then you think, well, I didn't get any results from that, so I'll stop. And yeah. And that's what I do. Now, I am selling at the moment. Uh, you never hear me talking about my nonfiction because it's not really what I do, but I'm selling. I know I know Amazon ads work because I'm selling my MailChimp book um, on the back of it entirely. <laughs> it's just, I keep selling it. Uh, but I don't want to sell yeah. that one. I want to sell me fiction. Um, <laughs> but you, see, you cannot copy and paste that copy and targeting. <laughs> no, I can't. But you see, I because I kind of come from a geeky background, you know, MailChimp is, is to me, it's simple because it's mm-hmm. just keywords but my my fiction i struggle with because i what you want to be is a keyword you want to be stephen king or harlan coda yeah. uh, or george rr R. martin when your yeah. author name is the keyword that people look for but as unknown yeah. authors we, we it takes us a while to get to that no one's looking for paul t they're looking for thrillers <laughs> and they might find paul t as a result of looking for thrillers and, and I, but it still helps to know who's in your genre you know it's there's no harm targeting them because if you target them and people happen to land on their page, then they might see your book. Well, yeah, I know, I know all the principles, but um, I've I had a lot of ads running and I didn't sustain it. So, so yeah. my learning point is ads work. There are people there for whom they if you keep very them well. up. <laughs> yeah. But move your butt, Paul, and keep at them. Don't be flaky with yeah. your ads. So that was that was the other thing. And then, okay. Yep. And then number three is, um, I think one of the most you, you'll remember this, um, Martha Carr when she spoke about her personal yeah. journey, her her health issues, yeah. was probably yeah. the most striking thing in that the, the whole weekend, the, uh, the most uh, sort of emotionally um, resonating yeah. thing. And I think everyone in the room was like choked up slash crying at that point. <laughs> she didn't even know she yeah. was going to do that, did she? And when I no. when I interviewed her for the podcast, I said, "I'm not going to yeah. ask you to do that again, Martha." Instead, uh-huh. I'm putting the link to the video because you know that was so sort of spontaneous. But yeah, it, you, it was it was very resonating. And what I learned from that is, you know, number one, I mean, she talk about down. Excuse my language. Down on your ass. Talk about down on your mm. ass. Not only financially, but with yeah. your health as well. Yeah. And she ought to have just walked away and given up. But Martha has yeah. just bought the house of her dreams, and she's yeah. done that and turned her life around. Through it's amazing. Doing the work and writing. That's that's what that's and faith. A lot yeah. of faith. Amazing. Absolutely. She's a, an, amazing, an amazingly resilient character. So if Martha could do that from, mm. you know, below zero, she was below zero. She wasn't at zero. She was below it, for God's sake. And and yep. turn that round to such a fantastic success story, then we need to stop bitching about our little problems and things like that <laughs> and get on with it. So that was... 100% a- <laughs> agree. Be thankful for what you have because you, when you stop to think about it, you have an awful, awful lot. Yes, I have nothing to bitch about. Just do the blooming work, Paul, no. and get the books out. Yeah, you know, and, and, absolutely. And I walk away <laughs> with that very strong feeling hearing Martha talk. So that, that's three things yeah. now. I've done me three, yeah. So that's good. Awesome. Um, okay, so question two would be, what would your top tip for BookBub be, whether that's getting one or riding one or, you know, having success with one? Yeah, top tip, go. Right, I have, I, well, I have no tips for getting one because like everybody else... Uh, there's no secret? 
secret formula? No, I, no. I had crap covers, Meg. Uh, the covers were crap, um, and I, I, you know, it was just my usual copy. I did nothing different, so I've been trying to get my sci-fis on for ages. There's no backhand bribes, no secret no. handshakes. No. You can't give us anything. No, Come yeah. on. The only tip <laughs> I'd learned from talking to Adam Nichols on this podcast, he's another thriller author, <laughs> was where it says yeah, yeah. anything else you want to say. Um, yeah, always put something there. <laughs> I, put some, I put something in there. Yeah, I put something in there. Yeah. I can't remember what it was, uh, but it was only something very brief. Now, at the time, yeah. it was a crap cover, um, and yeah. I, I had virtually no reviews on it. Um, and uh, in they, and I couldn't believe it when they said yes. You know, you keep checking it, thinking uh, there must be a mistake here, or uh, you know, maybe somebody <laughs> just hit- snap their hands off. Maybe they hit it yes by accident, but that doesn't count. You still say yeah, okay. <laughs> That's what I thought. It was an accident. They'll apologise that maybe somebody's kid was sitting at the computer and pressed yeah. yes or something. Too like late, that. <laughs> no backsies. <laughs> and then, and then I was worried about the price because it was a lot yeah. of money, and and I thought, yeah. and, and I because I never until you've done one, you've got no sort of you know I cannot, I could not. Yeah. You see, you've had this experience. You've sh- sold a lot of books before. I've shifted a lot of free mm. books before, and then made made some income as a result of that. But I've never had a sort of a month when you've made you know several thousand in in a, in, yeah. a, in, in a month. So it's hard yeah. to believe. See, I've done it in internet marketing. Um, mm. I've had uh, as an internet marketer, we had uh, six figure launches. We I had several six figure launches as an internet marketer. Gosh, what a dream! <laughs> so, well, no, it, uh, don't get excited by that because um, don't be deceived by it. It's part of the illusion of internet yeah. marketing because you the way you, the way that you create it, you give away fifty percent of that um, for jo- joint venture partners who effectively send the traffic to it. So, so mm. half that. Um, you know, it is a uh, so the, the return on investment isn't cracking, but it sounds really impressive. Yeah, it, it's great. It's great. So I think the biggest launch I ever did um, was a six-figure launch. But I and I and you know I'm not sniffing at this. Um, but I walked away, I think, with probably about twenty-five thousand pounds in my pocket uh, as a result nice. of two months' work or something like that. Okay, but that's but pretty sweet. It, it is pretty sweet, but it's it was hard to keep up. The market was dying at the time. It was doing like a coloring books on you. So yeah, don't be deceived by that. It was a lovely thing. I'm very happy, like you, with your twenty thousand dollar month. <laughs> very very happy with it. But I couldn't sustain it. You know, it, that was not sustainable. Um, uh, and, and that's why I left internet marketing because you were only as good as your last launch. And the good thing about books is, you see, you, you've done your twenty thousand dollar launch now. All you've got to do mm-hmm. is repeat that. You don't have to write new books. You, you could. Just... Oh yeah, it's just it's just that easy. Well, yeah, I know there's I know there's slightly <laughs> more to it. With, with, there's a few more steps than that. Yeah, with internet products. <laughs> You, you, you know, the product was dead as soon as it was sold. You had to come up with the yeah. next one. And it was like a real, you know, it, it could be lucrative, but that market was dying for all sorts of reasons, you know. So yeah, was, absolutely. Our, our intellectual property is valuable for our entire lives and even after we're gone. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of income to be leveraged there. Absolutely. For sure. So, so what, what you want, really, and what I learned from internet marketing, you know, and it's a, it was short-term income. It was great. It bought, it bought me my first year when I left the BBC that I did. And it, it took a lot of pressure off me for that, as, <laughs> as your, you know, good month is going to take a lot of pressure off yeah. you. Um, but but it, was not, it was not a career. You know, one successful yeah. launch does not a career make. And, um, yeah, no, absolutely, and that—that that is why you absolutely should not get complacent when you have a really good month or a really good launch. You think you have to keep your um, pedal to the metal or whatever they say, and and figure out how you can continue it and or go bigger and better and 
Yeah, definitely. You've got to scale it up all the time. But the joy of a book yeah. is that, um, so for instance, you know, Don't Tell Meg, which um, uh, is doing sort of really well through the bookbub thing now. I yeah. wrote that last year. And um, I, I have what I call Paul's flop it out launch policy, which is usually I write them. And do no- <laughs> I do nothing with them. And um, I just write the next one. And I, and I you know, I'm yeah. great at producing, not so good at marketing. And so. Yeah, that's been my problem too. <laughs> it was a year old book, more than a year old. Yet. Yeah. It, you know, it was new. It, a book is new to someone who's never read it before. It's always new to someone. There you who's never go. Read it. Just think about the billions of readers in the world. You know, China's coming online, India's coming online, Brazil's coming online. All these communities are getting access to to the internet and to Kindle and to other eBooks, and that's where we we are. And we are putting assets out there with longevity. That's that's yes, we, we are. And that's the difference from uh, internet marketing. So, uh, so. Um, in, in bookbub terms, what I would say is, um, my advice would be do it. Um, don't be nervous <laughs> about the money. Put everything yep. in there that you can. You've got to do it in series. Okay. You've got to have more books to read through because um, I, I, I did gave away the first book free in a trilogy and uh, I got uh, massive read-throughs or a huge amount. Mm. So it was exclusive read-throughs or a huge amount of your income, as I know you know as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Huge, huge amount. So I had to go exclusive. I don't like being exclusive, but. I need, to, I need <laughs> to make money. Yeah, no, I totally, totally agree. I would much prefer to be wide, but there aren't any credible wide alternatives right now. So I'm, I'm all in with Amazon. Yep, you know, done. I'll go wide when someone gives me a viable business proposition that allows me to do so. Yeah, absolutely. I was in draft digital for a couple of years. I made peanuts on it. It was totally negligible. Yeah. So until that yeah. changes, I'm staying with Amazon and I know it's a risk. I know it's a business risk, but uh, I need to make some cash and I make cash yep. on Amazon and I make it with reads. Totally well. agree. Yep, and uh, it hasn't stopped you getting a book bub, which is great. No, no, I was exclusive as well. <laughs> I know, so uh, I broke all the rules for book bub. Um, there you go. Goodness knows I've got it. So, um, so in terms of what I learned from book bub was, you know, do it, pay the money, but make sure yep. that you've got, um, you know, you've got series. I had a, a two book box set with book two and three in it. I had the three box set as well and i sold every permutation that i had so i sold book two i sold book through three i've sold book two and three and i sold book one two three and and i and so all of those <laughs> things plus the read-throughs then that when somebody sort of who's in prime sees the the, the box set they get the whole box set and read right through it um, it just created a lot a lot of income so um don't do it with a standalone book is what i would say mm. make sure yeah no i'd I'd agree with that. <laughs> and cross-promote like hell, front and back of the the Kindle version of it, cross-promote like hell to make it easy for them to get. And uh, <laughs> with that said, Vellum is brilliant for creating sort of, you know, geolinks within the book that, that make mm. that really easy for you. So that, that would be my, my big tip. Sweet. That's awesome. Um, well, that was not one top tip. That was many, but I can't tell you off because you're adding value. So uh, last I question. I can't help myself, like, I just can't help myself. Ah. <laughs> last question. Um, what's working for you right now? What's one thing that you think, yeah, I'm doing that great right now? Well, I, I, I tend not to think that way. I, 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 I think I'm sort of resilient and, and generally sort of positive, but I I tend to sort of beat myself up a lot and sort of think, you know, I, I look at other people and think, I wonder what it would be like to sort of, would I, will I, will I ever feel like I'm being successful? Because, you know. The, oh, I think we all feel like that. I know people who make six figures a month and still don't feel like they've made it. They still feel like the rug's going to get pulled from under their feet any day now. It's all going to disappear and it's all going to be a dream. You've just got to keep your head down and keep going and tell that voice to shut up. It must just go, with, <laughs> I think it goes to the territory, doesn't it, unfortunately? It so. does, yeah. But you, you, ha- you absolutely have to recognise when you're doing something right you know have you 
written a particularly great piece of prose? Have you put together a fantastic product? Have you run an ad that's just absolutely smashing it out of the park? You know, have you done something in the last month that you think, oh, actually, done all right there? No, not really. Uh, <laughs> no. What a note to end on, Paul. Come on. Come uh, on. No, I tell you what. I tell you what. I tell you what I've done. What? What? I tell you what I did is I. I, I was. Um, I was struggling with. I think my sci-fi's are good. Actually, I do. I do like my sci-fi's. What I've done is I've. Um, I focused, and I. I always had a plan since I sort of mm. knew I was going to stick at this, and and that yep. plan comes to fruition on on May the thirty first of this year, which is when I have my fourteenth book. Um, published so wow. my plan is and you like this because this feeds into what you're doing i've got Go on, world domination yeah well i had two <laughs> two sci-fi box sets secret by yep. the grid and i've yep. written this year the a standalone so what i was box sets are brilliant but you mm-hmm. also are limited in the way you can market them and what i wanted was yeah. an on-ramp for those books and so yeah. I, I wrote the standalone on-ramp for those two series and I've linked the worlds of those series. So I've now got a standalone book that I could you know, give away for free or I could yep. market at 99 cents. And that book um, then teases into the worlds. If you want to find out what happens, you know, the world before the book, you can read the secret bunker. If you want to see what happened to the Lovely world after. Uh, and so, so that's, I've, that's, that book was released last Friday. So that brings my sci-fis together. And then my thrillers, Again, I've done the same thing. So I've got a, a, a trilogy, which is doing, you know, that's my best-selling product at mm. the moment. I've, yeah. got, I've done three standalones, which will be box-setted. And then the, the best kind of the, 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 the I've, done, I've got four standalone um, uh, thrillers now as well. So what that allows me to do is to have a lead thriller, which will be zero cents or 99 cents, um, two box sets of thrillers plus a six box set as well um for the for the read-throughs and i've got that now for my sci-fi and my thrillers and now what i must do is is, is to market those because i have brilliant marketing combinations now um and, mm. and, and yeah. all sorts of ways to jump on board and access um what i've got so that culmination i'm really sort of pleased that that i've 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 hung in there long enough you know i've stuck at it and um and, and i've got two genres Seven books, beautiful marketing combination. Now, what I've got to do is move my ass and do some marketing, which is the, <laughs> the next thing. That, that That's great. Feels like a mini crescendo um, to me. Yeah. Um, no, that's no, that's awesome. It's it's making sure that you can absolutely maximise that read through, which it, it, every little helps. Yeah, and, and you've just you've just discovered this yourself, and you're I mean you're going to do something fairly really? similar, really, aren't you? Yeah, pretty much almost exactly that. Yeah, write more things in the universe where the readers are and uh, link them together. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening to this special two-year anniversary episode of Self-Publishing Journeys. And thank you very much, too, to my guest interviewers, Alison Ingleby, John Cronshaw, Meg Cowley, Sarah Hardy and Rachel Amflett. I'll be back on Saturday the 7th of April with my next podcast diary. And next Monday's guest is Graham Smith, who'll be sharing some more great writing and marketing tips with me. In the meantime, you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash Paul Teague. Or if you ever felt that you picked up a great tip from this show or helped you on your own author journey just one little bit, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher because it really helps to get the word out. Thank you very much for listening and I'll see you on Saturday. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. 
In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.